but as we'll see in verse 8, he still has in mind his coming, even as now he talks about this matter. Uh, Today we live our lives between his comings. He came once to live and die and rise again from the dead. He is coming again to bring to full completion the work that he accomplished on the cross. In the meantime, we wait. But it's not an empty waiting. It's not waiting marked by staring at the wall or twiddling our thumbs. There is work to do. There's lots of work to do. There is a kingdom to advance. But uh, that work, the advancement of his kingdom, the establishment of justice, I say the way those things are done and accomplished, or may I say the primary way, may surprise you. It may seem at first even counterintuitive, opposed to reason. It's not uh, primarily by running, or by fighting, or by campaigning. It's not on one's feet. It's on one's knees. It's through the utterance of the heart to God. It is through persistent prayer. We hear something of this in the quote, whether truly spoken by Martin Luther or maybe spuriously attributed to him, it really matters not. I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Well, on that note, let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we are going to be freshly reminded of, of this, something that we've just confessed a moment ago in our confession of sin that we've neglected, our neglect of prayer. And every one of us could say that uh, from our hearts to one degree or another. And so we pray that you will grant us now, as we hear the Lord's voice, a new resolve, a holy resolve, by your Holy Spirit at work in us to engage ourselves once again in this most powerful and important matter of prayer, our vital breath, and our native air. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 18, beginning at verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with all her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? If I were to ask for a showing of hands right now, ask you to raise your hand if you find it difficult to pray, I rather suspect that most of you would 
raise your hands. If I asked another question, how many of you find it difficult to persevere in prayer? I expect that even more hands would go into the air. And then, those of you who did not raise your hands would have two sins to confess. Your neglect of prayer and your neglect of truth. Uh, There are many reasons why we struggle with prayer, struggle to persevere in prayer. And none of them are very good ones. Some of them are physical, like weariness. Others are spiritual, like weariness. Persevering in prayer can be exhausting, both physically and spiritually speaking. And to those, our laziness and our indifference, oftentimes to the needs around us, right around us and within and our pride that, that thinks that we can make it just fine on our own without praying. Even if we don't say as much, we live that way far too often. Our lack of faith in the promises of God and his promise to answer our prayers. Our rebellion and refusal to submit to the Spirit when he prompts us to pray. I mentioned spiritual weariness. That's what we get sometimes when having actually prayed about one thing or another. God does not answer the way we wish or as soon as we want. You've prayed for some person maybe over and over and over again, some event, something to take place. You've pled with the Lord for days, weeks, months, maybe years, and heaven seems silent We've experienced this in prayer meeting, too, praying for the conversion of one person or another, for physical healing, maybe, or employment. Uh, That's not to say that we've not seen any answers. Of course, we have. Some things uh, for which we've prayed week after week have we've seen the Lord accomplish along the very lines that we've asked. Often after years of praying, week after week after week in this house, even months or years. But in other cases, it's easy for us to get discouraged to the point where we just stop asking. Jesus understood that perfectly about us. Even though he is without sin, still he is perfectly sympathetic to all of our weaknesses. That's why he knows that we need encouragement to persevere in prayer, to pray persistently. So he tells this parable to the effect that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. Isn't that wonderful that the Lord lays out the purpose of this parable? Sometimes we have to wait till the end of the parable to find out, you know, what he's trying to or what he's telling us in this parable. Here he hands us the key right at the beginning of the parable uh, that unlocks the whole thing. Don't give up in prayer. Persist in prayer. Now, this parable is sometimes called the parable of the persistent widow. It's also sometimes called the parable of the unjust judge. And it's because there are two very strong characters in this story. Jesus starts by introducing a judge in a certain city. One might hope that a judge, of all people, would be a person marked by justice. Isn't that why you, you have a judge? You have a judge to judge justly for the sake of accomplishing justice. It's one of the saddest ironies 
in our own land, to say nothing of other places in the world, that injustice not only mars but actually perverts so many of the benches in our own courts. I grew up in Cook County, Illinois, which is the byword of injustice in court in America today, of corruption. But unjust judges existed long before Cook County did. Bribery in substantial amounts is what opened the doors for litigants in those days, which means that the penniless person had no chance of obtaining justice, especially with a judge like this one. He even says of himself in Jesus' story, I neither fear God nor respect man. He didn't even pretend to be a good judge or just or even a good man. Any justice from his bench was purely accidental to his own self-interests. She, on the other hand, would not give up until justice was accomplished. Her her situation was desperate. Of course it was. She didn't have the wherewithal to bribe the judge. Her cause, we can assume, I think, in Jesus' story, is just. Her resources, however, in and of herself, that's important to remember, too, were nil. All she had to offer was her persistence. And that she did in spades. Over and over again, she came with the same request. He wanted to ignore her, but finally he he couldn't anymore. She kept coming and coming and coming with her request until finally, just to get her to stop bothering him, he gives her justice. Children learn this early too in life, don't they? They learn how to ask and ask and plead and plead until they get what they want. You can hear them at Walmart, even on the other side of the store in the groceries, still begging for the toy they saw back in the toy in the children's aisle. Maybe you've seen parents just roll their eyes, oh, finally, whatever, and go get it. Throw it in the cart for a little whiny brat and see if that helps for next time, which... It won't. But uh, remember the strange case of that rancher in Powder Bluff, Colorado, who, due to a computer error at the Magazine Fulfillment Center in Chicago, received 9,734 separate renewal notices for his subscription to National Geographic magazine. He couldn't resist. He, he got in his truck, traveled the 10 miles to the nearest post office, sent his check with a note that said, I give up. Send me your magazine. But here's where we need to be careful. This is a parable, not an allegory. And there's a difference. Jesus is not saying that if we beg enough and, and cajole enough that God will finally get irritated enough And give us what we ask. This is not a comparison that Jesus is making. It's a contrast that Jesus is making. That's important to understand this parable. The ungodly judge is everything that God is not. Unjust, uncaring, uninterested. He's not here in Jesus' story to represent God. He is here as a foil 
to God, a contrast to the one to whom we pray. Jesus makes that point starting in verse 6. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Those are rhetorical questions, of course. But just in case, Jesus applies the answer in verse 8. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. He answers both of his questions. The point of the parable is this. As Jesus has already said in advance, to encourage us to pray, always to pray, and not give up in prayer, and not lose heart in prayer. And the best encouragement we can have to persevere and to persist in our prayer is a good look at the one to whom we pray. And that's exactly what Jesus gives us here. I already said that uh, this fictional judge is all the things that God is not. But God is all those things that this judge is not. He is just. He is loving. He is wise. First, God is just. He it is who defends the widow and delivers the oppressed. He always gives justice. Now, it may not seem like that to us sometimes. We still see a great deal of suffering. We see a great deal of injustice in our world today. We see fellow Christians, our own brothers and sisters, suffering. Even as Elder Thomas just led us in prayer for those suffering in Bhutan. And we do from week to week, remember Christians in different countries being tortured, even slaughtered for their faith. We see injustice even in our own land, where too often the wicked go free and the innocent suffer. Our own legal system, while still arguably one of the best, if not the best in the world, still filled with brokenness. All over. But our God is not bound to those things. He's not bound to the here and now and the immediate. His justice is eternal justice. Even if someone gets away in this life with murder, proverbially or even literally speaking, he doesn't get away with murder. Nobody does. This universe will be shown, will be proven in the end to be a place where perfect justice is accomplished despite what we can see right now with our eyes. Maybe you're facing an unjust situation of some sort. You needn't look very far to see neighbors taking advantage of neighbors. Rip-offs that can't seem to be made right inequities in the workplace. Dirty politics, reputations, maybe your own, falsely tarnished or destroyed. Keep praying. Keep praying. Don't, don't give up. Don't be afraid even to remind God in your prayers of his own character. Remember Abraham did that when he was persisting in prayer for Sodom's sake? Remember that? Almost negotiating, haggling, as it were, with God. Will you not spare Sodom for the sake of 
50, he says. And then he says, for 45. And then 40, 30, 20. Lord, will you not spare Sodom for for 10? What a wonderful example of persistent prayer. He was not afraid, as I say, reverently to bring to God's own mind his own character. To say to God, don't forget, God, who you are. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Dare to remind God of his own attributes as you persevere in prayer. And of course he will in all things, in everything. He will do what is just. Brothers and sisters, God is just. And for that reason, pray on. Second, God is loving. Now notice the contrast here. To the unjust judge, the widow remains nameless. She's anonymous. We never hear her name. Because the judge doesn't care what her name is. But God cares for his elect. As Jesus calls us in verse 7, he knows who we are because he chose us. Individually, he chose you to belong to him, to be in a most striking biblical image, his treasured, precious possession. That's how he thinks of you, his precious, treasured possession. He hears your prayers because he treasures you and he treasures your prayers. From before the world began, he set his love and affection on you. When you bring your prayers to God, you are bringing them to your Father who loves you, who is interested in you, whose ear, the scripture says, he bows down to listen to your voice to your every word. Christian, pray to him, Abba, Father. Remind him, you, O God, are my God. And in all the most important ways, remember he is a perfect father to you. If we may remind him, as Abraham did, of his perfect justice, surely we may also remind him in prayer of his love. And the fact that he is almighty, that he's almighty, love then will accomplish all the good that he intends to do in answer to your prayer. Which brings me to the third point. God is all wise. Your God is all wise. We pray thy kingdom come oftentimes, don't we? Thy kingdom, we pray it in this house, you pray it in your houses too. What we want in that petition, what we're asking for, is God's rule to spread more and more across the face of the globe, for more and more knees to bow to him. But we're also praying that the kingdom will come in the grand sense of consummation. The kingdom will come to this world when the kingdom of darkness will forever be banished. And the kingdom of glory eternally be ushered in. Why the delay, though? Why wait 
What's, what's, what's going on? Why must so many wrongs wait to be made right? Congregation, I wish I knew. I wish I could tell you, but it's enough to know. It's enough to know that God knows. And the all-wise God out of that wisdom knows how to time the answers to your prayers for everything. Every concern. The grand kingdom coming and the kingdom coming in all the little ways that it does in your life and that you want it to. He answers our prayers exactly when he means to according to his divine and perfect wisdom. I love that line that the writers added to Tolkien's Uh, the Fellowship of the Ring in the movie version. Frodo meets to run run to the wizard uh, Gandalf. Let me say that again. He runs to meet the wizard Gandalf, who's approaching alone. Remember in the fireworks-laden one-horse cart coming along the road, and upon reaching him, Frodo with crossed arms scolds the wizard in a disapproving tone, you remember this? You're late. And the wizard looks up from under his great pointed hat. And under those great big bushy eyebrows, Gandalf peers gravely at Frodo and deliberately replies, A wizard is never late, Frodo. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he intends to. In all things, great or small, from his coming in fullness at the end of time to the deliverances he makes to your prayers every day, he is never late nor is he early. His perfect, impeccable wisdom governs all his acts. And that fact, rather than hindering you from praying, ought instead to animate you to pray. This is your God to whom you lift your prayers. He hears them, every single one of them, and he will answer them, every single one of them, as Divine and perfect wisdom dictates. Now, he's not made known to us all the reasons he does what he does or the way he answers our prayers, why he answers our prayers one way or another or at one time. He's not brought us into the inner workings of the divine counsel. There are many things we do not know and cannot possibly understand now. But for now, we pray on. We pray in faith and we keep on praying persistently, perseveringly. And God has supplied us with plenty of examples of how he's pleased to answer persistent prayer. Think about Hannah. Think about Elizabeth conceiving and bearing children precisely because they persisted in prayer. And the idea is, had they not persisted in prayer, they would not have borne children. Jacob wrestled with God in prayer, as did Abraham in another sense. I think one of my favorite examples must certainly be the one chronicled in George Mueller's 
diary. He writes, in November 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether whether sick or in health, on the land or on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. Eighteen months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. These two remained unconverted. Thirty-six years later, he wrote that the other two, sons of one of Mueller's friends, were still not converted. But, he wrote, I hope in God, I pray on and look for the answer. In 1897, 52 years after he began to pray, these two men were finally converted after Mueller had died. God hears your persistent prayers. He wants you to persevere in prayer. In lifting up your heart to him every day. Speaking to him about what you desire. And of your confidence that the Lord, the just God, the loving God, the all-wise God will hear and what is more will answer those prayers perfectly for you. As he has for his children in the past when they persevered in prayer when they did not give Now, if I were to ask for a raising of hands, how many of you would want to persevere in prayer, to join the great cloud of witnesses who have prayed constantly and valiantly until God gave over in answer to those prayers? I would hope every hand would shoot up. And if that is the case, then hear this piece of counsel and encouragement from the late good Bishop J.C. Ryle. Do we ever feel a secret inclination inclination to hurry our prayers or shorten our prayers or become careless about our prayers or omit our prayers altogether? Let us be sure when we do that it is a direct temptation from the devil. He is trying to sap and undermine the very citadel of our souls And cast us down to hell. Let us resist the temptation and cast it behind our backs. Let us resolve to pray on steadily, patiently, perseveringly. And let us never doubt that it does us good 
I could have preached an entire sermon on the good it does us. However long the answer may be in coming, still let us pray on whatever sacrifice, whatever self-denial it may cost us. Pray on. Amen.